I showed up. Nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody listening. <laughs> You're listening to Ain't Nobody Listening on Oman FM. I'm your host, Abdullah Al-Ma'awali. And with me in the studio is Abdul Aziz Al-Hina'i, who is the advisor and expert for Oman Public Authority for Economic and Free Zones. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. Yeah, so uh, we invited you here. I, I didn't know that we knew each other from, uh, from we before. We did. We did. We've met before. Yeah. So mm. it was a pleasant surprise to see you. It was. I didn't have to do all the explanations that I was expecting to do. So. Me, yeah, not, not all the questions that I was planning to ask mm. you. I have some context on where this conversation <laughs> is going to go. But who knows where this conversation is going to go. Just like every Ain't Nobody Listening episode. Okay. Uh, congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, you just got... Uh, the position of advisor? Um, admittingly, it was uh, in November last year, but mm. uh, you know, it's become a lot more official. I'm more involved uh, for a period of time. I was still overseeing, and I'm still overseeing the department, but mm. um, I'm more uh, uh, working with uh, His Excellency, uh, the Deputy Chairman, Ahmed Al Dib. So, this is a perfect opportunity for mm. us to learn about the free zones. Okay. Take me through it. What what does it do? Okay, f- um, uh, okay. Let's let's start with um, in Oman. What we have, we have uh, a number of things. Um, one, we have economic an economic zone, which is in mm. Durham. Yeah. We also have uh, three free zones, which are Mizuna, um, Sahar, and Salala, mm. and then we have industrial parks. So, the whole intention. Uh, behind the uh, free economic zones or free zones, mm. um, there are uh, generally they designated by trade and, and um, uh, what we call commerce administrations. Um, the whole reason or, or why these things are done is to encourage economic activity, okay. where you know certain incentives are provided to uh, investors or, or those wishing to invest. Mm. Um, uh, in Oman, mm. uh, economic and free zones have various different factors. Uh, but in general, really, what you're doing is you're attracting uh, investors to come in, uh, invest mm. uh, in various industries. We In Dokum, we have about eight different uh, zones uh, from uh, heavy industries all the way down to low industries. And, you know, you've got a plethora of industries there. Right. So with incentives... Uh, tax exemptions, uh, long-term, uh, the ability to uh, create funds and then and then take them back home. So these are investments designed so that you know um, uh, there's there's uh, a trigger into the economy or, or, or creates an activity within the economy. In addition, there's a lot of investors who who come to Oman and invest because of our free trade agreements. Right. Now, free trade agreements are, are great; they're reciprocated between various countries, so it enables country like, countries like China and India to uh, come invest in Oman, manufacture, mm. and then made in Oman products leave leave. Uh, uh, Oman itself to to uh, other countries and it's reciprocated as I said by the free trade agreement what's the progress on Dokum? okay great question you know it's it's strange every time I speak to anyone hmm. and you know I'm sure there are more uh, capable people of answering that question but um, in my opinion 
uh, you know, if you look at when Dukum was established, uh, 2011, yeah. and from 2011 on to, uh, you know, we're in 2023, what we sometimes take for granted is the the amount of time it takes to build an infrastructure. You're mm. talking about a nomadic place, place that was, you know, um, uh, consisted of mountains, deserts, uh, the sea, uh, no road infrastructures, no electricity, uh, or, or you know, uh, segmented to small little villages or yeah. cities. So started from scratch. There was from nothing. scratch. So you've got a yeah. greenfield. Mm. You then come in and you go, okay, I'm going to build roads. Mm -hmm. I'm going to build uh, utilities. Um, and so forth. These things take time. Now, Dukum itself is 2,000 square kilometers of land. Wow. Um, initially, it was 1,775. It was extended a little bit further. Mm. So, to fill 2,000 square kilometers of land is not a, is not a, a small job. It's a huge job. But right. what it needs to be, uh, it needs to be approached strategically. So, you need to create the proper infrastructure so that you can attract um, uh, investors, uh, mm. even money is to, to go there. You need to build something which, which will allow them to stay there. You don't want them to right. just to fly in and fly out. So over the last, I would say, 10 years, uh, a solid infrastructure has been built. We mm. have roads, um, you know, four-lane roads uh, that you wouldn't see in most other wilayats uh, outside Masqat. Mm. Um, you have an electricity grid. Uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, when you start uh, comparing it with with uh, developed countries, it's it's really ahead of time. Um, so a solid infrastructure. We've got desalination plants. Um, again, you know, we are we we don't rely on water. We don't have a lot of rain, so we have to get the water from somewhere. So desalination plants have been put in place, mm -hmm. and you know, as the population grows, other infrastructures are put in place. So it's not about coming and building a city and saying, okay, oh, wow. Okay, I can see buildings, yeah. but your build is based on um, uh, the the population rise, uh, the investments that come in, and so forth. You don't want to build something that uh, will stay stagnant for years mm. before it's used. So, it's in proportion with the development, so with uh, investments, with the population, and right. as that grows, everything else grows. And and what is evident there now? I mean, if you go there, you'll see Amman Dry Dock. Mm. Um, you know, uh, we've got the Renaissance, uh, a labor camp to executive level, um, housing seventeen to eighteen thousand people. Now, this is extraordinary. Right. Um, when you look at other countries, and and you know, it's not about naming other countries, but we really are stepping up. Mm. Uh, we're we've got accommodation for labor, uh, laborers and workers, where anything from their sheets, their bed sheets, sorry. Mm. Uh, amazing bathrooms, their laundry is covered, their food is covered. So, you know, people start to feel human again. And that's what it's about. Amman really is uh, at the forefront of making a huge change. And uh, it's evident from what we see. Obviously, you're not seeing it done quickly. But, you know, we forget. Mm. Uh, we all know, uh, you know, we've got mobile phones, but do you really care how that works? Right. Or, or have you ever asked how how is this information going through air to another phone? Um, Most people don't. Exactly. They just want it to work. Exactly. Whereas yeah. I sit back and I go, okay, so we're going to build a road right there. There's a infrastructure that needs to be put in place. Uh, below that, there's uh, pipings for water, irrigation. There's uh, electricity, fiber optics, and so there's quite a lot of work that is taken. And and I really. 
uh, and thankful that we have some amazing, amazing engineers. What is the vision for Dukum? I'm Let's <clears throat> let's look forward mm, 15 years because I'm I'm a bit ignorant when it comes to the matter the matters of Dukum and what's happening there. Sure. Is it like Oman's fourth uh, city? You know, you have Masqat, you have Salala, you have Sahar. Uh, and do we see Dukum as also like a residential city where people are living and raising their families? Absolutely. Uh, Opaz, over the last um, five years or so, hmm. has been developing infrastructure, recognizing that um, uh, we need to develop uh, the area uh, to a vibrant city hmm. where, you know, someone like yourself will say, you know, I would like to go there. Why? Because it's got great, great uh, temperature. Uh, it's uh, it's got a beautiful it has beautiful beaches it has all the necessary things that I require uh, and it's a great place to raise a family and right. I've got a great job there so if we can fulfill all those points yeah absolutely there's it's evident that there's a migration of workers heading that way and when I say workers Amanis who are looking for jobs and opportunities and and I think Dukum uh, could and will become the next city but it's about time it's about time. The 15 years, where do you see it? 15 years, uh, a vibrant international airport that's recognized by uh, uh, all the countries. Uh, I think tourism will, will start to flourish there because it's a halfway point to Salala. I see. Industries uh, from heavy to low. So you've got uh, Oman, Kuwait, partnership, which is Dukum Refinery. You've got quite a few industries now opening up. The Chinese have. Um, I see a city with a population potentially uh, up to a million. Um, I see a city that will be ahead of its time mm. uh, because it's a it's a it's a, a greenfield that's being built with the latest technology. Uh, I think some of the key things that we're working on now um, and, and the reason why we're working on it is um, we can do anything that's pilot. We can pilot anything there. It's a trial place. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we have been given that opportunity to test things. Obviously, it's industry-based. Uh, right. Recently, we, we launched the drone testings, uh, which is amazing. Some of the future features uh, that are going to come from, from, drone, from this drone testing would be the delivery of your food right. um, to a geographical coordinate. Um, uh, so... That would be fun. Uh, absolutely. As a person who orders a lot, I'd like to open up my balcony and receive my... <laughs> well, it won't be to your balcony, but what I would say is it'll be to your door. It'll be a lot quicker. Now, mm. with technology comes a lot of challenges, of course. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're going to have this sort of technology, um, it still for the next five years or 10 years after that, I still think that there's going to be a human person behind it. But as 5G becomes a lot more... Uh, available uh, available to everyone I think you'll start to see these drones flying themselves because all they require is a geographical coordinate hmm. um, and and a very good computer um, that gives it instructions so with new technology also comes challenges uh, a lot of the jobs will be um, you know scarce I suppose and and right. I think the best thing about what we are doing right now is is we're looking at the jobs of the future that you're not aware of today 
Right. Yeah. It's like the horse and carriage, right? You, when, when, when automobiles became a thing, a lot of people lost their jobs. Yeah. But a lot of new people got new jobs. Absolutely. A whole new industry started. You're, you know, mm-hmm. manufacturing of these vehicles. Yeah. Um, engineers, uh, you know, working on new concepts. So I never look at things on a negative platform. I think you need to look at it positively. And, and the way you do that is... Um, Every downfall has an upfall or, right. or, or an up uh, opportunity. We just need to be able to put in place that sort of mindset. Hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it, uh, it definitely. Where do you see uh, your role uh, as an advisor at the economic uh, free zone? Uh, what is your field of expertise? Where do you offer value? Well, Okay, um, to really understand that, you really need to go back in time yeah. uh, historically uh, to my past. But uh, my expertise is in in uh, strategy, uh, in-country value. Um, uh, how do we create an economy that, that is supported by a strong uh, uh, SME force? Right. Um, and... You know what? Do uh, how do you develop the communities? Because we're going through, we're we're on the cusp of technology change. Um, today, you know, previously you would see kids reading the Quran um, uh, using a book. Right. Today they're they're uh, on an iPad. doing it on on an iPad or a phone. Yeah. So um, we have to, in one way, protect our heritage and culture. Yet we have to also develop how we think and uh, accept these new changes, and how do we adopt that within? Mm. So, um, so you spend a lot of time thinking about the progression of technology. Well, you're right in one way because mm. uh, you do you do you do need to see what's coming, mm-hmm. uh, and then you need to see how that is integrated into our society, our uh, culture. Right. Uh, don't forget, we are religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, religiously sensitive uh, to uh, to uh, uh, many things. Um, so, so we have our own very unique culture that we have to we account do, for. We do. We do. Yeah. Look, Oman, Omanis in general are very unique. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to live outside Oman for over 40 years. And 40? 40 years. That's um, crazy. So... You know, when I when I first came here, I was a foreigner. I I literally, when someone says, "Where are you going?" and I'm going, "Okay, I'm going to the Matrah Souk." Why are you going to the Matrah Souk? Well, it's interesting. It's a <laughs> it's a vibrant place. People have charisma, very dynamic, and but they're all Indians there. Yeah, there's history there. Mm. Uh, it's not just Indians. There's there's a you know people from various parts of the world who have made Oman their home and 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 uh, are trading. Right. And uh, if you really want to go back in time to see how trading was, well, nothing better than going to the Matrah Souq or the Nizwa Souq. And Matrah is not just a touristic g- gimmick. People actually go there to shop till today. People, Amanis yeah. go. If you and 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 one of my greatest adventures was during Eid. Apart mm. from the the challenges of traffic leading to Matrah, yeah. um, but it was to see the vibrancy, the 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 energy that's there. But you went uh, more or less uh, as a tourist, trying to see what this is all about. I, I was an Amani tourist yeah. in Matrah, <laughs> in my own country, yeah, absolutely. 
I imagine that would give you a very unique perspective on the country coming from the outside and being Omani and having that background. Uh, you'll be able to see things that um, perhaps someone who's lived here their whole lives may not be able to see. Where did where did you spend most of your life? In which country? Okay. Um, first of all, I'll just respond to you. You are, you are right. Um, uh, it's like uh, a greenfield. For me, it's fresh eyes. Yeah. So I look at things from a completely different angle. Um, uh, so and and then going back to the second uh, look, I initially started my life born in Oman, mm. of course. Uh, my father had the the privilege of working as a consul. Uh, in India in the early 70s, uh, after which uh, he uh, was uh, moved to London mm. as the health attaché. Um, and, you know, I spent uh, the bulk of my early life or childhood through school, college, and then ultimately university in, in London. Mm. So uh, that was that was the first uh, shock uh, when I when I tell my friends that I've lived in London for 20 years, they're you know they're not that excited okay so you're one of the guys that that's lived outside but then when you say well i came to Oman, i worked for three years and i was working for the Oman international bank for for a short period of time mm. uh and then waking up one day and deciding well and and we'll go into why i left but um and then living in australia for another 20 years mm. um uh, i had a gap year uh at university and i lived in greece for a year right um so when you compile all this, it, it, it creates this new, uh, what do they call it, when, you, when you're a mixed match of, of so many different cultures and so many different... Um, a third culture kid? Well, your case, you're like a fifth culture. <laughs> well, you see... <laughs> many in, cultures. Absolutely, but it's a concoction of... Of cultures, because in mm. London, I mean, it's a, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, until uh, you know, late eighties and nineties, you know, tikka masala became the national food for Britain. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you're living in a country that's that's uh, a concoction of different cultures. nationalities yeah. and cultures and and religion, and then moving in, uh, coming back to Oman, and then you know, it's like okay, it's one culture, a little bit uh, you know, spiced up with with various countries, yeah. and then you go to uh, Australia, where completely different, uh, more Asian, because uh, you're Asian. closer to the yeah. Asian. Um, I've never been to Australia. Look, Australia yeah. is one of the most beautiful places, but uh, Australia has a has a vibrant, vibrant international community. You know, from um, uh, Greeks, uh, we have more Greeks in Australia than in 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 Greece. It's the the joke, but no it's way. true. Uh, Melbourne is bombarded with them. You go to Sydney, and then you have a you have a uh, Asians, uh, you go to the you know um, uh, Sydney Harbour, and uh, all the shops there mm. are Asian. Um, you go to uh, Melbourne, and then you've got a mixture of Italians. Again, most of the Italians outside Italy in Melbourne. Right. Uh, you go to Adelaide, and you got Germans and 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 you know East Europeans, etc. So, yeah, it's I've I've been exposed to. Uh, Quite a lot. Quite a lot. I'll tell you, what, we'll go out on a quick break and when we come back, I'd love to explore what being exposed to all those cultures does to a person. I'm excited to share. We'll be right back. This is Oman oh FM. <laughs> 